Amen. So thankful that all of it was paid for. Amen. We don't pay for some of our sin. We are not forgiven of some of our sin in Christ. We are forgiven for all of it in Jesus Christ. And we walk in the freedom of knowing it's all forgiven. And so I pray that you've lived this last week that way. But let's be honest. Uh, sometimes in life, man, our, our flesh, uh, the enemy, the world can start to try to make you think that, man, you know what? I, was it really all forgiven? Man, is it really all under the blood? Is it really all forgiven? And sometimes guilt for past sins can really rob us of the joy of this moment and this day. And so I just want to encourage you, live as though you are free. Live as though you are loved by an amazing God who did everything to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And so let's live that way. Not just here this morning in Sunday morning service. And let's be honest, it's easy to do all that right now, right? I mean, it's really easy when everyone around you is singing and it's like, yeah, amen. And then you get to work Monday and you're like, you know, like really? Man, we got to live it because it doesn't stop being true when you leave this building. Amen. It's just still true when you leave this building. And so uh, this morning, if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. At the Welcome Center, you can go by, pick one up. Uh, free of charge, uh, no credit card, no driver's license number, no social security number, none of that stuff. Uh, it's just completely free. And uh, we'd love to give it to you. If you, don't, uh, if you don't have time for that or you have a device maybe with you that you want to pull up the Bible, uh, if you download our app, as I said before, there's a Bible app in there. So you can get to the Bible that way too. And so uh, we want to make sure that you have a, a copy of God's Word in front of you. And so as we go to the, God's Word together, you know that this is not just my opinion. Uh, but this is what the Word of God actually says. And so we hope that you can do that with us and uh, celebrate Him this morning. But this morning, before we get into the text, I want us to get us, I wanted to get us thinking towards a certain direction. Uh, next week, we're starting a brand new series uh, entitled Culture Wars. Culture Wars. And we're going to be talking about some different aspects of how do we live in this world as a follower of Christ with all the various things that seemingly are coming at us in, in contradiction to the Word of God. We want to talk about what are those things? What are some things that we can do practically to still be a follower of Christ and stand true? Um, but if we're being honest, uh, not isolate ourselves from the world, right? What did Jesus say? You'll not be of the world, but what? In it, right? You're going to be out in the world, but you're not going to be of the world. Okay, the idea is that you're not going to be a, a hermit living in your little bubble. You know, you're, you're supposed to be interacting with the world. And so how do we do that? but not get wrapped up in all the junk that the world wants to throw at us. And so we're going to start talking about that next week, uh, kind of maybe a four-week series that I'm kind of developing. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Um, I'm really excited about two weeks into that. I think it's like October, I don't know what the Sunday is, I'm forgetting, maybe the 22nd, somewhere in there. Uh, we're going to have one of our missionaries with us, so you don't want to miss that. Andy Briggs uh, will be with us, and so you can go out to the lobby here and find out more about him before he gets here. Uh, but he'll be with us uh, this month prayerfully, as long as nothing changes, and so we're looking forward to that. But before we get into the series next week and before Andy comes in a couple of weeks, I wanted to get us thinking along the lines of where do we start in this idea of understanding how to stand against culture, how to stand against things that would be contrary to God's Word. And I truly believe uh, before we begin to tackle some of those issues of culture, I think we need to understand the truth of God's Word. And that we need to understand the foundation on which we are standing as followers of Christ is found in the Word of God. That we have a firm foundation, and it's in the Word of God. 
This is where we stand. This is how we know. This is the plumb line, if you will, between what are things in culture that are just things in the world that are kind of uh, amoral. They don't really have any evil or, or positive influences. It's just kind of part of living in this world. Um, how, what, what are those things versus things that go against God's word? And how are we ever going to know that unless we understand the foundation on which we are standing? How are we ever going to know what direction to go unless we know the word of God is our lighthouse, our guide, if you will, in this world. And so I wanted to kind of real quick just take some time this morning to kind of talk through that and break that apart um, because we have a firm foundation. Amen? We don't have a, a foundation that is shifting or changing. We have a foundation that is solid and true, and it's in the Word of God. And it's not something that, you know, as many people treat it as. It's not just a book you can only read on Sunday mornings, by the way. Just so you know, this book, it's amazing how this works. You can actually read this anytime you want. Like, how crazy is that, Right? Like some people, it's like, man, I bring my Bible to church and I got to go find it, right? Like I know I had that Bible somewhere around here. Where is it? I see some people, they leave it here Sunday. It's a Sunday night. That's cool. Whatever works, you know, if you, that works for you. But the key is, man, we need to be engaging the Word of God daily if possible. Spending time with Him. And here's the beauty of it all. Not because it keeps your salvation. You get what I'm saying there? At some churches, it's almost like they'll tell you, if you don't read this every day, you're somehow not as good a Christian or you might lose your salvation. Your salvation is firm in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we just sang about, man, it's his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection that gives you the freedom from sin and the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. When you get into this book, you just get to grow in understanding, what does that look like in my life? I mean, who is the God that actually gave himself for me? What is that God that just gave himself for me that that offered his love to me and his grace. What does he ask of me? What is, what is he asking me to do in this world? And it's a beautiful relationship, and we get to spend time in his word, getting to know him. And guess what? The longer you're in this book, and the more you allow it to permeate your thoughts and your thinking and your heart and your emotions, your foundation gets more and more solid, more and more firm. And all of a sudden, those things that used to really tempt you, that used to really try to pull you down, they're still there. They don't go away, but they don't seem to have that same pull over you they used to have. You guys know what I'm talking about? And when you were first saved, you were so on fire for Jesus, and then all of a sudden, those old temptations. Paul says the old man came knocking, and it was like, hey, remember when you used to do this? That was kind of fun. No, I'm not doing that anymore. But it's, it's hard, isn't it? Listen, they call it temptation for a reason, because it's tempting so how do we stand against those temptations in sin or just in everyday living? How do we live as a follower of Jesus Christ, focused on his kingdom with the world that's going crazy around us? We do it by standing on the firm foundation of the word of God. And so I want to walk through this this morning. Some things are going to be familiar to you guys. Some things might be new. But I want to give us not only some practical understanding of what God's word is, but maybe some things to be on guard against when we're in the word of God or studying the word of God. Even maybe other believers that want to encourage you in the studying of the Word of God. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16. Very familiar passage. Uh, but really it is one of the best to describe or to articulate the power of the Word of God. Listen to what Paul's writing to Timothy here. Timothy being a young pastor in the church, Paul's trying to encourage him with his last letter. This is the last time that the Apostle Paul is going to be writing. He's in a Roman prison and the next time he leaves that prison will be taken out and martyred for his faith. The Bible doesn't tell us directly what happened, but we know that from history that the Apostle Paul was beheaded for his faith. 
But before he does that, what's the last words of encouragement? What's the last words of strengthening he can give to this young pastor, this young man that, that he loves as a son in the ministry, he says? Look at verse 16, and this is really where it all starts and ends. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That word just means teaching. Some people hear the word doctrine, they get all, you know, I'm not a Bible college student. I don't know if I can do this whole doctrine thing. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know all that stuff about the Bible. It just means teaching. It says this, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Praise God, God's word corrects us, amen? You ever been corrected by God's word and you were not so thankful for it in the moment, but you got really thankful for it later? And you make that decision and you're like, what's the, oh, thank you, Lord, for that wisdom. It goes on to say this, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Then verse 17, which sometimes we forget to read verse 17, but it's, it's not meant to be left off. That the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect does not mean sinless or flawless. So many Christians are trying to live perfect. And it's great to live focused on the Lord and to desire to sin less. But so many Christians set themselves up for failure when they're trying to live perfect instead of just living faithful. God never called us to live perfect. If we could live perfect, we wouldn't have needed sacrifice on the cross. We can't live perfect. That's why we need Jesus. Once we have Jesus, now he says, just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just trust in me and watch me use your life in a great way. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word this morning and ask him to give us wisdom and how we can apply his word in a way that honors him to our lives. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as we continue in this service and as we ask you to speak, Holy Spirit, we don't have to beg you or plead with you or convince you to come into this place. You are here with us. As we gather in the name of Christ, as the body of Christ, I believe that you, Holy Spirit, are leading, guiding, directing. I pray that you're convicting those that need conviction of sin. I believe that you're encouraging those that are making decisions of righteousness, and I pray that you're encouraging them and, and fanning those flames, that those that are living in a way that would please you, they chose the narrow road and they're walking on it and they're, they love you and they're trying to do what you're calling them to do, even though it's scary, maybe it's cost them something in this world, I pray that you would encourage them. Remind them that every sacrifice for you is worth it. But for the one here this morning that maybe has drifted in their walk with you, they know Christ is their Savior, but they're in a season right now where they're just kind of drifted from you. Maybe there's a sin that just keeps coming back around and they just can't seem to, to get consistent victory over this thing. I pray that you would work in their heart and mind and just show them that victory is not only possible, it's already been given through the blood of Christ. I pray that they would walk in that freedom, finding your love and forgiveness, repenting of that sin, confessing it, but then also moving on from it. If anyone in this room, Lord, right now is, is struggling in guilt for a past sin, maybe even a present one that they're still battling with, I pray that they would abandon guilt and receive your grace, confess, repent, and move forward to what you have for them. But Father, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that you would use your word this morning to show them that your word is true and that it shows us that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. Father, in all these things, we just want to be followers of Christ. We just want to show you and live for you so that others will see us living in that way, that it will reflect you. And that lifestyle, along with our words and expression of the gospel, will lead people to Christ, that your kingdom may grow and you may be glorified. 
Father, we thank you for your love, your unending mercy, your grace that is truly amazing and unexplainable. We pray that to all of this, you would be glorified. Move as you feel you need to. We invite you, Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage here, this is such a powerful truth, but it's wrapped up really in two simple verses. The first thing we have to note is that this is a great kind of explanation of the Christian life and how we, how we disciple other individuals. You see, the Word of God is there for us. It is perfect. It is, it is true, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes here. But it's also giving us the ability, through understanding of the Word of God, to live this life that others may see Christ. Look what it says there again. In verse 16, it's very clear that the Scripture is inspired or God-breathed. And it's profitable for our teaching. It instructs us. It teaches us. It guides us. And why is it doing that? Why is it teaching us all these things? Why are we being instructed in righteousness and how to live for Christ? So that we can go out from that time of teaching, understanding, and wisdom so that we can live in good works to others. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Let men see your good works and do what about them? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when you do a work for God that you serve someone or your neighbor's not feeling good, so you take them a, a tray of lasagna or something. I mean, or you just go minister to them or you mow their grass for them or you just, you know, hey, you just serve them in some way. Maybe they're not feeling good and they can't get their grocery shopping done. And so you're a stay-at-home mom, and I, I know a lot of stay-at-home moms, and my wife is one, and they're like, man, I don't know how I can really minister for God. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by children all day. Like, I can only disciple them so much, you know. Like, what do I do? There's ways that you can minister. If, if God opens a door, maybe you go next door and you tell that woman, hey, listen, I'll do your grocery shopping for you. Just give me your list and give me the money you have, and I'll go take care of all of it for you. I'll bring it back. I'll help you unload the groceries. It'll be great. Every time you do that, you're not doing that. So they go, man, you're an awesome person. Now, they might say that, they might thank you, and that's all good. But why do we do these things? Why do we serve others in the name of Christ so that they would see Christ in us and do what about it? Glorify him. I say, man, what an amazing God. What an amazing Savior that you love him so much that you would come serve me and you don't even know me. How could you love me this much? And then you begin to explain, listen, I've been loved by Jesus Christ. And because I've been loved this way and accepted, I want to let you know that I love and accept you. It doesn't mean you accept their lifestyle or sin or whatever. It means you respect them as a human being created by God. And we talked about it in the last few weeks about relationships. About how do we handle relationships? How do we, as Paul says in Romans, how do we live peaceably with all men? I truly believe it begins and ends with just respecting each other. And I think a lot of conflict would be done away with if we just respected each other as human beings. If we just saw people as human beings as God sees them. And instead of maybe seeing that person and just identifying them with their sin, which is true and needs to be forgiven, I'm not denying that, but instead of identifying them as just a sinner and naming their sin over them, maybe you just go meet them as a neighbor or as a person. You get to know them. And then maybe through that relationship, you get to tell them about Jesus Christ. They can find forgiveness of their sin. Listen, the alcoholic knows he's an alcoholic. She knows she's an alcoholic. You don't need to beat them over the head with it. You don't need to try to convince them somehow or just talk about them in that way. Maybe you go and just love on them. Maybe you just go build a relationship with them. Not one that would harm your Christian walk. We talked about that last couple weeks. Maybe there's a little bit of distance there at first. But it's one that allows them to see Christ in you. We've been learning a lot on Tuesday nights the last year in our recovery ministry 
a recovery gathering, helping those that struggle in any kind of an addiction of any kind, trying to help them to see what it is to find freedom and victory in Jesus Christ. And you know one of the keys we've learned? One of the keys we've learned that have been completely forgotten by most of, of Western world is, do you know the best way to help somebody through an addiction? It's not incarceration. Statistics show that. Now, sometimes that's needed and required, and that's fine. But the best way is developing healthy and positive relationships in their life. And as you develop those healthy and positive relationships, we would say that as a Christ-centered relationship, you're going to start to see them begin to be set free from those things over time. You see, God's word is so powerful, and it says, listen, you need the right teaching, but you also got to be going out and doing Here's the, the mindset in Christianity today. It's like the two ends of the spectrum. It's either all teaching, no practice, or all practice and no teaching. Oh, I do lifestyle evangelism. You know what that means? I don't actually tell anybody about Jesus. I just go live it. I just let my life be a testimony of Jesus Christ. The other side of that spectrum is I don't actually tell anybody about Jesus, but if anybody ever asks me, I'm loaded up with tons of scriptures to tell them. Like, you know every Bible verse about everything ever, but you're just a sponge that's been sitting on the side of a sink for way too long, and you're getting a little smelly, getting a little stagnated. But man, you know the Bible. You know the doctrines. You can split theological hairs better than anybody. You can divide, de define this view or that view. I mean, hypostatic union, you've got that down. You know exactly what we're talking about. Some of you are like, hypo, what? If, what? That wasn't for you, okay? That's for that person. Whoever's in the room that went, I know what that means. I'm talking to you right now, okay? You know what this mindset is, this idea? It's, it's when I was at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and I was down there, and I met these kids that are like, man, I can't wait to graduate college to go get active doing ministry. I need to learn all this, and then I'll go do it. No, no, no. As we're learning, we're going. We need training, we need teaching, we need instruction, but we don't have to wait till we hit a certain level of degree in someone else's eyes before then we can minister effectively for Jesus Christ. Listen, lifestyle evangelism is really important as long as you're tagging it with and tag-teaming it with your words. Nowhere does Jesus say, just live for me and people will come falling at your feet. Over and over again we're told, teach them, tell them express to them, tell them to repent, tell them to confess, tell them about Jesus. But see, it's, I don't know what happened in the church. It's like we went one of two ways. Either we're so scared to say anything, so we just live it, or we're so scared to go live it because we're terrified of the world, we just hide in our churches and learn a lot of stuff. Then we pretend like we're being obedient because I've memorized so many verses in the Bible. It's great to memorize verses, but if you're not living it, what are you doing with it? And we got to be balanced here. And I love this passage because it shows us the balance. We need zeal to serve, but we also need to be passionate about learning and educating ourselves in the things of God. In this verse here, it's so per it's uh, clearly said here. It says when it talks about perfect, it's not sinless. It's talking about maturity. We'll grow in maturity. That the man or woman of God may be mature. Thoroughly furnished. You know what that means? Always ready. Always ready. That when God opens a door, man, you're on it to serve. And how are you so ready to serve? Because you've been instructed in righteousness. You've been, you've been educated by the Holy Spirit and through a community of faith to know when those opportunities come. And so real quick, Paul is balancing doctrine or teaching with practice or lifestyle. 
We cannot have one without the other. Let's, let's unpack this a little more. Let's talk about this word, this inspired, God-breathed word. The first thing, if you're taking notes, you want to jot this down. The word is truth. John 17, verse 17. Such a simple verse, such a powerful verse from the lips of Jesus Christ. But it's one that I think we need to really kind of camp on for a moment and kind of really make sure we understand. Jesus says this in John 17, which is a powerful passage if you've never read it. John 17 is actually the prayer of Christ before he goes to the cross. We always go to um, the Lord is my shepherd. or um, uh, Hallowed be thy name. I'm thinking of the Lord's prayer. Wow, just gone. I went to like Psalm 23 for some reason, okay? Um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, we always go there and we're like, oh, that's the Lord's Prayer. That's not really the Lord's Prayer. That's the example prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. This is the prayer of Christ before going to the cross. And as he's going through this prayer, listen to what he says in verse 17. So powerful. He says this, sanctify them through thy truth. Who's the them? He's talking about the disciples, those that are the followers of Christ. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And how is God going to sanctify? What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be growing in holiness. To be understanding more and more how we can live in a holiness like Christ. And how does God do that? How does God accomplish in the life of the disciples that amazing work of sanctification? We talked about it before. Remember when you were first saved and some sins were just such an overwhelming temptation? And then over time through the work of the Holy Spirit, now they're still there but they're not nearly what they were? And how does that happen? That's sanctification. That means I'm growing in holiness. It's not a legalism. It's not I do this to earn God's favor. Some of you grew up in churches like that. Some of you spent time in churches where you were beat over the head with, if you don't memorize this verse and wear this and don't listen to that and do listen to this and do this and do this and do this, then God might love you. And then they'll throw on the very end, but we're saved by grace. It's amazing to me. So many churches that preach salvation by grace but burden people down with all this junk of law. You're saved by grace, but don't you step out of line because you might lose it. I'm not saying you're going to lose it, but you might. It's this, it's this double talk that just drives me crazy. So listen, we don't do these things. We don't live in a holiness to Christ to keep our salvation. We live in holiness to Christ because we are saved. Because his Holy Spirit is working through us, and it's just a reflection of what a relationship looks like with Jesus Christ. Jesus said so clearly, thy word is truth. Not it contains truth. Not it's sometimes true when I like what it says. Study history. Individuals in our nation, won't get into details, took a Bible and started cutting out passages they didn't like and just... Cut, literally cut and pasted their own Bible together. Founders of our country had mindsets like that. All through history, this is common. Oh, man, I don't like that passage. I'm going to cut John 16 out. That's gone. That was too convicting. Let me just say something. If I cut out every verse that convicted me, my Bible would be like this thin. Okay? <laughs> It'd be pretty much empty. Like, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. A couple more verses. That's about it. But man, we need to look, if Jesus said his word, the word of God is truth. Some people will argue, well, he was talking about himself there. Because isn't John called the word in John 1? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, then we beheld the glory of God. 
Isn't it the same word? The difference is if you look at the verse itself, the word there for word is lowercase. What does that tell us? It's not referring to Jesus Christ. It's not a name of Christ. It's referring to the word, the literal written word of God. So this word is truth. The G- Jesus Christ said with his own lips, thy word is true. What does that mean that the word of God is true? Scripture is true in everything it affirms. Scripture is true in everything it affirms. What do I mean by that? If Scripture records a lie, it's not saying the lie is true, but it records the lie truthfully. Make sense? Because you might read some Scripture and go like, wow, I can't believe this guy did that or that guy did that. The Word of God is saying that's okay? No, no, no. It's just saying in everything it records, it records it truthfully. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement for the Word of God's accuracy. Why would that be? Because if I was writing a book and I was trying to prove how awesome I was, I wouldn't put my faults and failures in there. If you were David, you would omit a lot of the Old Testament at at times. But he doesn't. Why? Because it's recorded in there. How about reading just Genesis? The great men of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And guess what's all in there? All their mistakes, all their failures. All the times that God called them to step out of faith and they walked a different direction. It's in there. It's recorded truthfully. It doesn't affirm a lie, but it affirms the truth of how it was recorded. Some in today's world will challenge the validity of God's word and point to a grammatical error or a difference between two translations and say, oh, see, look, it's not perfect. It's not true. When Jesus said the word is truth, he means the inspired word of God is true and will remain for all eternity. Even if imperfect people, listen to me now, if imperfect people make a mistake with grammar or a translator translates a word different than another, it doesn't change that God's word is true. What do I mean by that? When human beings were scribing the the Old Testament, they didn't have Xerox, you know, 27 copies, go. They didn't have that. So as they're writing out this word of God, guess what may happen? Because we're imperfect people. Oh, I didn't put that comma there. I put it over here. Now, saying that, let me be really clear on this. Saying that among the thousands, let me say it again, thousands of manuscripts we have of the Word of God, the errors that are coming up in grammar or translation are so minor, so minute. I mean, they're almost not even there when you think of the vast number of manuscripts. And none of them, None of them that involve grammar or translational difference have any bearing on any major doctrine of the Word of God. How can that be? How can a book written by people, inspired by God, over 1,500 years contain so little, if any, grammatical errors, let alone no errors in doctrine, thoughts, different personalities, positions? How can it be that they could write a book If it's just mankind doing it and come out at the end and so many of them line right up with each other because they weren't writing of their own accord. They were writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's important to understand too, the Apostle Paul was not inspired when he wrote the Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote the inspired Word of God. What does that mean? There are things that the Apostle Paul wrote that were not inspired because he himself was not inspired. The Word of God was inspired. See the difference? God did not inspire the Apostle Paul and make him this chosen vessel and inspired him and 
breathed through. No, no. The words he gave him were the inspired word of God. Paul could finish writing Romans, turn around and yell at the person scribing it. That wasn't the inspired word of God. Because it was the word of God that is inspired. It's the word of God that remains true. It wasn't the author that really even mattered. It was the words of God that were written. That's where the power of God lies. Again, we must have confidence in the word of God. We can believe the Bible is truth and preserved for us today. When I talk about grammatical errors, I want to make sure we're clear on this. We're not talking about errors of doctrine, teaching, nothing to do with the person, the work of Jesus Christ. From the early church to now, there is a very clear understanding of what Christ did, and it's recorded for us. And there are thousands and thousands of copies of it for us to study and to see. Man, look at the consistency, the clarity among the New Testament and the writings. A question we must ask ourselves is, as we're looking at the Word of God, does my view of Scripture agree with Jesus' view of Scripture? If Jesus saw it as truth in all things it affirms, do I see it as truth in all things that it affirms? Secondly and quickly, Scripture is not only truth, Scripture also keeps us stable. Keeps us stable. Second Peter chapter 3, turn over there with me just quickly. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. The Word of God, the Scripture keeps us stable. We talked about this a little bit already with the idea of temptation and sin that come into our lives. Scripture keeps us stable. Second Peter 3.15, listen to what the Word of God says. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That's just a cool verse right there. It's a great video. You know what that basically means? The, you know why God is patient with us and gives us time? It's time for repentance. He wants us to be saved. It goes on from there. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, Wisdom given unto him. You know what that means? It came from outside and came through him. It wasn't Paul's wisdom that he came up with these words. It was given to him, and he wrote them in epistles to the Christians. Verse 16. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in, in them of these things, which are some uh, uh, things hard to be understood. Amen. Right? Just read Romans 7. You're going to be like, man, Peter was right. Paul's writings are kind of hard to understand. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. I do this and that, do that, and this and that, and this and doing. And it's crazy. Because I'm going to say this in verse 16. They are hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. That's a pretty powerful verse. And unfortunately, I think we just kind of read right through there. First and foremost, we understand that Peter writes that the words of the Apostle Paul in his epistles are true and equate them with Scripture, admitting that the wisdom came from outside of himself. He goes on to say that those words can be difficult to understand, which I think we can all agree with. But he says something powerful in verse 16. He says, those that are unstable and unlearned rest. Not rest like I wish I was doing later this morning than I got to. Okay? Rest, as far as the idea of like not wrestling, we'll get to it in a moment. But it says this, the word unlearned, so you see that there, right? Unlearned, some translations might say ignorance, okay? The unlearned and the unstable means untrained or undiscipled. The undiscipled. 
Basically, those that are untrained in the things of God, the word of God. They've not, as Second Peter said, they've not been given the word of God for reproof and for correction and for instruction and in righteousness through a discipleship relationship. They are undiscipled. Some may even be unsaved. They may not even know Christ as their Savior. And what do these unlearned and unstable people do? They go to these hard and difficult passages of the Apostle Paul, and they camp there, and they build entire doctrines there, and they begin to teach from there, and they begin to false teach from there. Because what they do is they take this really hard doctrine or, or passage from the Apostle Paul that maybe we're like, we're not really sure what exactly that means in full. I mean, we think we know. And they'll take it and they'll start teaching you, well, no, no, I know exactly what it means. It means this, and it means that, and it means this. And it's almost like you're sitting there going like, well, that sounds good, and I don't really understand the passage, and this person seems to understand it, so that must be what it means. And the Bible says that word rest, that word rest in the Greek, the original language means to twist or to turn away. To turn away. These are the ones that write the book that claims to know when Jesus is returning down to the minute. Real quick, by the way, we missed it. Did you guys hear this? Did anybody hear this? The rapture was supposed to happen like last Friday or Thursday. Did anybody hear this? You guys know what I'm talking about? I actually have a friend who's selling mugs and t-shirts that says, I survived the rapture. So if you want one of those, let me know. I can hook you up with him. Um, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's these people that, that man, they sound really good, and they write a book about it, and it's, it's this, this doctrine that we don't have all the answers on yet. I mean, we have really good, educated assumptions. Seemingly some that are more, a little more accurate than others. But at the end of the day, what did Jesus say about when he's returning? Who knows the day and the hour? Only one. The Father, right? So I'm telling you right now, if somebody writes a book and says, hey, I know when Jesus is coming back, you just be like, have a good one, and you just walk away. Because I'm telling you, listen, that's just one example of one that we can all understand. But there's many examples of this, where someone wants to get up and they want to take these obscure passages that, man, we wrestle with, and we've wrestled with for 2,000 years, by the way, in the church. It's not like you're going to have the number one answer. All of a sudden, ding, light goes on. And usually it's not even an answer that's common among the church. It's like this random, out of left field, nobody's ever said this before answer. But this guy knows, or this woman knows, exactly what it means. Some will do that because they know, man, if I can just confuse the people, if I can just get them tripped up in their thinking, then I can lead them away. Some do it because they're unsaved, and they're doing it because they want to lead people from the church. Some people are doing it almost, not innocently, but almost innocently. They just haven't been trained. They just don't know. And so they just come to conclusions. And I said it before. They get alone with this Bible, and they spend only time with them and God. And they don't ever go outside of that and say, hey, what is the thought other believers might have about this passage? What does the church think about this? And they end up getting this own view that can really lead people astray. And so they twist it. They turn it. We avoid falling prey to these false teachers. We avoid falling prey to these types of things and being taken under or being made unstable by hearing the Word of God, standing on the truths that we know are affirmed in the Word of God. These will make us stable. And if there is a passage that you've wrestled with, that you struggle with, you're like, I just don't know, and don't let it consume you. Don't let it discourage you. Go back and stand on the passages you do know and allow the Holy Spirit of God to begin to instruct you through the wisdom of the church, the wisdom of other teachers, but be so discerning. 
I said it before. Listen, just because they're on a Christian channel doesn't mean they're Christian. Just because they preach at a big church doesn't mean they're Christian. Doesn't mean they're preaching the truth of God's word. Just because they preach at a small church doesn't make them any more Christian. It's almost like this mindset, well, big church, that's bad. He must be preaching heresy, watering down the gospel. I've said it before, I have a friend in Israel who preaches and pastors one of the largest churches in the area, and he waters nothing down. Listen, just because the church is growing doesn't mean it's doing everything right, and just because the church is small doesn't mean they're doing everything wrong. And just because somebody's popular, just because an author has a lot of sell, sales, a lot of books, I should say, and is a New York Times bestseller, doesn't necessarily mean you need to read them. And if you do read them, you need to be discerning. I mean, what are the claims they're making about the Word of God? What are the claims they're making about Jesus Christ? I truly believe that the more we expose ourselves to the Word of God, the more stable we'll become and guarded against these false teachers. We accomplish this standing on the Word of God, with an ongoing teaching relationship in the local church. We don't have time to read it. Ephesians chapter 4, jot it down. Paul tells the church that God has given some to the church, pastors and teachers, to equip the saints, to mature the saints. And so we come into the place this morning, like the church, and we come to be affirmed and to be encouraged and to be strengthened in the teaching of the Word of God. But there are some that will say in today's day and age, that I don't need the church to teach me anything. I don't need the church to teach me anything because I have the Spirit of God. And doesn't the Spirit say the Spirit will teach me greater than any teacher? Yes, he does. And the Spirit of God, listen, there's nothing better sometimes than being in your quiet time, your devotional time, and you're studying through a passage, and God begins to speak to you through that passage, and you begin to draw closer to him, and it's needed. But listen, God never intended it to be you and your Bible alone forever for your whole life. It's not what he intended. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God gave us pastors and teachers in the church to accomplish the very thing that the Spirit said in John he was going to accomplish. Think about how this unfolded. Break down this idea of the Spirit teaching us. The Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, filled the apostles and led them to write the New Testament. Then that was given to the local churches, where God equips pastors and teachers to equip the saints. So the Spirit can and does teach in our private devotions, but the Spirit is also teaching through the church as well. It's, again, it's not two ends of a spectrum. It's not I only study the Bible alone with no community of faith, or I only go to my community of faith and never study the Bible alone. It's meant to be a balance. It's meant to be I spend time in the Word of God, and then I go to the church setting to be able to be affirmed, to be encouraged. Listen, if I tried to do it my own, I would fall on my face every time because, you know what, there are some passages that we need wisdom from others on. And what do you, not so much what do you think this means, but, but what does this passage even mean? How do we read this? You see, moving on, we need some, some principles to practice. Real quick, there are some principles that we need to practice in studying the Word of God. First and foremost, we seek understanding in a context of faith. As we desire to grow in a deeper understanding of God's Word, we do it in faith, trusting even in the unseen. We can pursue understanding the truth of God's Word by giving ourselves to studying the word, as we see in 2 Timothy 3.15, one verse above what we read in our beginning text, where we study to show ourselves approved, discerning the word of God. However, we also understand or seek understanding in the context of faith outside of the scripture. We don't see God only revealing himself in scripture. We see God revealing himself in many ways. First and foremost, and, and greatly outside of scripture, in creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. 
that we see the, the things of God are clearly seen. So it's not just that we go to Scripture and we try to only understand God through this lens. This is the clearest revelation of God in himself and what he gave to us. But we can see God in creation. We see God. We seek understanding of all these things through the understanding of faith. But secondly, not only do we need to seek understanding in the context of faith, as we study God's word together as a community, we need to be on guard when dealing with Scripture. We need to be on guard when dealing with Scripture. For time's sake, I'm just going to kind of go through these kind of quick. If you want a copy of the notes or you need anything that you have a question on, please see me after service. Email me. Call me. I would love to talk to you more about this. Um, I would hate for anyone to leave here not fully understanding what we're talking about this morning. But I want to give you some practical things to avoid when dealing with Scripture. First and foremost, we avoid hearing without action. We avoid hearing without action. James 1.22 says, Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. And we don't just hear the word of God and go out and nothing changes. We apply what we've heard. We must practice the truth that we see and hear in God's word. Secondly, not only avoid hearing without action, we avoid an arrogant reading of Scripture. An arrogant reading of Scripture. What does that mean? This is when I come to Scripture and I say, I already know what it means before I've ever read a word. I've already predetermined what it must mean. And we do this based on maybe the church we grew up in, things we've already been taught about God's word or about God himself. So we put this selfish view on the way we read scripture. Now I'm not talking about the clear doctrines of scripture. I'm not talking about Jesus Christ's virgin birth, the death on the cross, things that are very clearly in scripture, but in other passages where maybe there's some conversation to be had about what it really is saying. But you go into scripture with this arrogant, I already know, I've already figured it out, and everyone else is wrong, and I'm right type mentality. I mean, sometimes that's true. Like when I say scripture says something, that's, that's different because I am right and you're wrong. But moving on from there. That was a joke, by the way. You guys can laugh at that. Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh right now. You can laugh at that one. Listen, I have, I have great pastor friends that, man, when I hit some passages and I'm like... And I've studied this out, and I've looked at it, and I think I kind of understand what it's saying. I'll call them up and say, hey, what do you think about this passage? Where do you see that going? Am I reading this correctly? And see, that's the key. We don't go into it with an arrogance. We go into it with a humility, because guess what? We need the Holy Spirit of God to reveal it to us. We need to listen to others and see maybe we're not understanding it correctly. And it's okay, by the way, real quick, it's okay to change something you've always believed about a passage in Scripture if you truly believe that what you believed was wrong. It's okay to change. That's all right. That's permitted. Now, again, we're not talking about the clear doctrines of Scripture, salvation by grace alone. Everyone, you know, the idea of sin, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not talking about their, those clear passages where if somebody comes and says, well, I don't really believe this whole Jesus thing, and for you to tell me otherwise would be arrogant on your part. No, that's just seeing the truth of God's word that's clearly, clearly revealed. What we're saying is when I go to a passage that can have some conversation and I'm like, no, you're all wrong. It's got to be this. Again, going back to Jesus coming back on September whatever, 2017. Need some conversation there, okay? So we avoid hearing without action. That's kind of that idea of just going to church to go to church without actually living it. We avoid an arrogant reading of Scripture. I know what it says before I've ever read it, and all of you are wrong because I'm right. That idea. But then also we avoid hearing without hearing. Hearing without hearing. What we're talking about here is this is where we walk into a church service, we hear God's word, and not really hearing God's word, assuming we already know what we need to do and we walk out. But we've checked the box. Now this is really similar to the first two, 
But I want you to think about this. What this means is I come in and I look the part. I sit in the, the seat. I do everything right. I say amen at the right times. I do this. I did that. I did this. And now I'm good. I have no idea what was preached, but I'm good. I had a professor at Bible college that used to always about Wednesday. I hated that when he would do this. About Wednesday in our pastoral class. Pastoral class. We're all studying to be pastors. Let that sink in for a moment. And he would say, all right, somebody tell me what your pastor preached on this last Sunday. And here's what we would do. What's the answer? Jesus. There you go. Uh, it doesn't work, okay? Then he'd say this. He'd get the marker out. Someone give me your pastor's points. What, it, what were the points of reference? What were the scriptures that you turned to? And we're like, dude, it's Wednesday, okay? Like, we're so over Sunday. Like, that was three days ago, man. But he would do it to remind us, like, listen, we need to really hear what we're hearing. You with me? What, what was Jesus' warning to the seven churches? If any man will hear, let him hear. And what was the evidence that he heard? Application. I can say I heard, but if I don't do anything, okay? My son can tell me all day, yeah, I heard you say pick up the Legos. But if the Legos are still on the floor, you heard me, but you didn't hear me, okay? So then we do a little more encouraging. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? A little bit more like, you're going to hear me this time, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. We're so gracious. We walk, you know, around just like speaking very lovely, you know. And she's like, Father, Father, you know. I'm like, yes, my son. You know, we're very, little house in the prairie kind of stuff. It's crazy. Um, not even close. Not even close. It's like a war zone. No, okay. Um, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. No, seriously. Sometimes we can do this, right? We come into church, and, man, I don't know what it is. We just, we just put this, our ears on, and we're like, oh, mm, mm-hmm, mm, that's good, mm-hmm. And we go eat at the Chinese place, and we go home, and we're done. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> Hallelujah. What really changed? I mean, do you, I mean, when you read the New Testament, you know what's so clear? Greater even than the preaching and teaching of God's word? Do you know what really permeates all of these pages of the New Testament more than the teaching and preaching of God's words, which is there and important and vital? It's the living church out in the world applying what they've heard. Because they heard it. How can you hear the message of one that was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, rose again the third day, ascended to the heavens... And a seat on the right hand of the throne of the Father praying for you and me. How can you hear that and not hear that? Man, I don't know. That just gets me fired up. Like, how can we not tell everybody about this? Well, it's easy if we don't really hear it. You see, when we're unsaved, God is speaking to us. I truly believe this. I believe God speaks to everyone. I believe this. And he's calling out to them and just repent, repent, repent. He's using the church to do it. He's using individuals to do it. He's using the word of God to do it. He's using creation to draw attention to himself. And he's screaming at us. Man, I want you to repent before your last breath because at that point it's too late. And the Bible says that if you die in your sin without Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. Separated from God and his love forever. And he's screaming at us. And when we get saved, our hearing problem doesn't go away. We're just made aware of it. Because our flesh still wants to silence his voice. And he's still speaking. But man, we got to tune our ears to say, I want to hear what he has to say. When we get into the word of God, when we start talking about applying the truths of the word of God, 
We must see the Bible correctly. You see, it's not enough to just read the Bible. One author said it this way, we cannot, or it's not enough to just read the Bible. The Bible must be read correctly. When we come together, we avoid arrogantly reading Scripture. We avoid hearing without action. We avoid hearing without hearing. We see the Word of God for what it is, the truth that Jesus said it was and is, and we apply it to our lives because it is profitable. And it's not profitable because it does these things. It does these things because it is profitable, because it is God-breathed. So how do you view Scripture? If we are going to come to a correct view of the God of the Bible— We must see his revelation of himself in Scripture as Jesus saw Scripture. And how do you view the Word of God? Is it just a book like any other? Is it a book you pick up when you have time, when it's convenient? Or do you get into this book and you realize, man, this is not like any other human writings. There's nothing on planet Earth that contains the truth of God himself. And here's the crazy thing. He didn't have to give us this. Nowhere was God bound to give us these writings, but he did it. Why would he do it? Because he wants us to know him. And why would he want us to know him? So we can worship him and enjoy him and live in his presence. So I ask you, how do you view scripture? Man, it's so easy to jump on social media. It's so easy to get mad at everything we see around us. But then we got to stop and go, man, what am I standing on? Am I standing on the truth of God's word? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to touch on some topics, and I can guarantee you it's going to make some of you, it's going to affirm what you're already thinking. Some of you, it might make uncomfortable. Some of you may like what we say. Some of you may not like what we say. That's all good. Because here's my goal, is that we will stand in this culture as followers of Christ, maybe not always doing or thinking what we've always done or thought. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Maybe we'll live a little differently. Maybe we'll see things happen in this world, and maybe we'll see revival take place. Because let me tell you, revival's happening. You know, first of all, if you think revival's not happening, you're probably watching too much news. So just turn that off, okay? Who does anymore? Like, I just went back to like 87, turning off the TV, okay? Turn off the news. Start studying what God is doing. Study what's going on in the church in our world. And places that are seeing the greatest persecution are seeing the greatest revivals. Oh, but you don't understand what's happening in my country. It's not too good. And do you realize what God is doing? And stop getting wrapped up in the, the dumb stuff and get wrapped up in Jesus Christ and in his word. And then begin looking outside of the word and go, God, how are you moving out here? How are you moving in people's lives? Listen to people's stories. Listen to what's going on in the world and then get excited for it. And then go, man, God, your word is truth. Yeah, there's going to be dark days. Yeah, there's people doing things that we don't agree with. And that's, it is what it is. We can stand against it. We can speak out against it. You can vote against it. All those freedoms you have, take advantage of them, use them. I'm all for it. I mean, at the end of the day, are you standing on this? Like, is this your foundation? I'm not talking about who's in the White House, who's not in the White House. Legislation, the lack of legislation what freedoms you feel are being taken away or the freedoms that you were given. By the way, we all have the freedom to carry this around and read it daily. You can't be put in prison for reading this. People are so worried about, oh, they're going to take away my freedoms to, to preach the word of God and, and read the Bible. Some Christians aren't even doing it now, so why would they care? 
We've got to be standing on the word of God and say, God, your word is true. I'm going to let that be my plumb line, and I'm just going to live for you with reckless abandon of everything else. And so when we get into next week, talking about our culture, that's going to be our foundation. So I wanted to start there. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads real quick. We're going to have a word of prayer and just a time of invitation. And so here's what I want to do. I appreciate so much your faithfulness and your attentiveness and your time this morning. Thank you for being here. I genuinely mean that. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just take a moment. How do you view Scripture? The band's going to come, and, and we're going to have a time of invitation. So as they come, I want you to just sit there and begin praying. God, how will you, or how are you revealing Scripture to me? God, do I see your Scripture as true? Do I see your words as truth? And it's easy to say they're true, but do I live as though your words are true? When you convict me of something, or I'm not doing something that I know I need to be doing, or your word says this is how I should live, or this is how I should think, or this is how I should act, and I blatantly and willfully go against those things, am I really living, Lord, like your word is true? Or am I living as though I pick and choose what things are true, what things are worth applying, and what things I can just dismiss and throw away? Greater than all of this, I want to ask one question as we get ready to to go to invitation, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to pray for anyone here that does not know Christ as their Savior. I just want to ask that if you're here and you don't know Christ, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you later. I just genuinely want to pray for you. Maybe there's no one here. Maybe there's more than one. I don't know. But if there's anybody here that does not know Christ as the Lord and personal Savior, I just want to ask, will you let me pray for you? Will you let me pray that maybe God will speak to your heart, that you would come to know that he loves you so much, that he died on a cross for your sins, that, that going to church, being a good person, all of those good things that we try to do will not gain us salvation. That only a personal trusting in the faith or with our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, receiving the grace and forgiveness of sins, that will bring us salvation for eternity. So if there's anyone here with heads bowed, nobody looking around, that does not know Christ as their Savior and would like me to pray for you, that maybe this morning you would begin to open your heart to him. Allow him to speak to you. If that's you this morning, with no one looking around, would you raise your hand? Anyone at all? I don't know Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me that I would receive Christ or that I would open my heart to what he has for me? Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, that's me, Pastor John, would you pray for me? Maybe you're here this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And you would say, you know, Pastor John, if I'm being honest, I, I believe God's word is true, but maybe I'm not living like God's word is true. I'm not really living like I believe, like Jesus did, that scripture is true. Then here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and you're going to be able to respond by coming forward if you feel led to do so, and you want to bend a knee and say, God, man, I'm not living like your word is true. Help me to, to, to stand on that firm foundation, believing your word is truth and is applicable to my life, that I would live differently for you. In this culture, this crazy, crazy world with all the strange things that are going on, I just pray that I would stand on your foundation, the word of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been living in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect your belief that the word of God is truth. Maybe you'd come and pray. And listen, don't be embarrassed about it. We've all been there. And we'll all be there again at sometimes. It's just the seasons of life, so we need each other. Come and pray. Say, God, would you strengthen me? No one here is going to look down on you for that. In fact, everyone here would rally around you to try to help encourage 
and support you in that journey. And so maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to pray there in your seats. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him? Heavenly Father, lead, guide, and direct in all these things. We ask that you give us boldness, courage, and wisdom, that we would stand on the firm foundation of your word, knowing that it reveals to us the beauty of salvation. Father, thank you for your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing just a, a short song of invitation? Would you respond? Maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to pray for something we didn't even talk about. Just respond to him. Come and pray.